0: Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. There's one area of agreement generally between Republicans and Democrats in Tallahassee as they forge a state budget that will total around $90 billion. While they will debate how to spend more than $35 billion raised primarily through sales taxes in Florida, they generally agree the state economy is doing pretty well.
1: The good part is we're not in a cut budget year, right? But we also have some... uh, duties that we have to fund that make it not easy to just fund every project that we want.
0: That's Democratic State Senator Oscar Branan. His district stretches across the Miami-Dade Broward County line. He sits on the Senate's Appropriations Committee and he will be one of the senior Democrats negotiating a final state spending plan with Republicans and the Florida House. What lawmakers eventually will vote on in the weeks ahead will be a spending plan that totals about $90 billion. More than a third of that will be from general state revenues, and most of that comes from sales taxes. The budget that lawmakers are debating begins in July. Today on our program, we hear from top Democrats and Republicans as budget negotiations get underway. The state forecast for money coming in from sales taxes is actually down a little bit from what it was forecasting just a few months ago. While still growing year-over-year, the incoming tax dollars are expected to grow slower in the years ahead. Last year and this year, general revenues grew by 5.5% a year. That's slowing to less than 2% this year and averaging just 3.5% year-over-year in the following four years. The slowdown in revenue is leading lawmakers to slow the growth of the overall budget. After growing by more than 4% year over year over the past four years, the budget lawmakers are negotiating now represents half of that growth rate, less than 2%.
2: I think we're in a pretty uh, pretty positive uh, state right now in terms of, of the budget. The economy is is strong. Uh, unemployment is down. And, um, you know, our, our state Businesses seem to be uh, performing pretty pretty strong as well.
0: That's Republican Holly Roshine. She represents Monroe County in the Florida House. The economic data is strong. The state's unemployment rate was 3.5% in February. More than 25,000 jobs were added that month, led by a traditional source of job growth for Florida, work in restaurants and bars. Those jobs tend to come with lower wages, and it's these kinds of employment trends that Broward County Democrat Representative Chevron Jones hopes influences the budget talks, about how to spend the state tax money.
3: Just looking at what's happening now uh, in Tallahassee and the negotiations that's taking place through the House and the, the Senate, uh, it's important that you know, as we're looking at negotiation that uh, that we talk about how to have a strong economy.
0: For Jones, that means spending on traditional public education, among other programs. Spending on education represents about 30 cents of every dollar for the state. It's the second largest portion of the budget after health care, And there are big differences in spending plans between what the House has passed and what the Senate has approved. In total, the budgets are about $400 million apart, and both are less than what Governor Ron DeSantis has proposed. It's not a huge gulf to navigate in the final three weeks of the regular session, but there are bigger differences within the individual budget items. The House and Senate plans are a half billion dollars apart on both education and health care spending, and they are disagreements over how to spend tens of millions of dollars on the environment, a key priority for the governor, and disagreements on affordable housing spending. There's also money directed toward helping people in the panhandle recover. Here's Democratic State Senator Branan The uh, Hurricane
1: Michael, everything that happened because of that and the rebuild. So a lot of money is going that way.
0: Much of the state spending on Hurricane Michael may be reimbursed by the Federal Emergency Management Agency. But there is still some friction over recovery funding while the House and Senate budgets set aside billions of dollars into a rainy day fund. It's that kind of cushion that has helped Florida improve its fiscal position over the years, especially compared to a decade ago after the Great Recession led to a sharp fall in state tax revenue, forcing big budget cuts. Jimmy Petronas represented parts of the panhandle back then. Today, he is the chief financial officer
4: of the state. This is um, the first time in the history of the state of Florida that all three major credit rating agencies have given us a A bond rating. Um, and to kind of put that in perspective, what that means, it's like a really good FICO credit score. Um, that's That puts us as the 17th largest economy in the world. So if we were a country, we'd be the 17th biggest country in the world. So, uh, you know, things are good in Florida, but uh, it, it we need to continue to have discipline, and I just ask people to hold us accountable.
0: While the Florida economy appears strong and lawmakers seem to be adjusting their spending appetites to slower growth, a new unknown in this year's budget process is the new governor. This, after all, is the first budget cycle for Governor DeSantis, and except for releasing his proposed budget a month before the legislative session began, he hasn't been very public as lawmakers have gone about their business of crafting their spending plans. Certainly he has pushed his priorities, such as new spending on the environment, but how he will assess what ultimately winds up on his desk is a bit of a wild card at this point. So, still to come, how the state's chief financial officer is looking at state spending plans and his advice to a new governor.
4: Is it truly the mission of the state of Florida to be funding every single special interest niche that could be part of a particular legislator's district?
0: Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. You can follow along on social media at WLRN is our Twitter handle and let us know what you think about the state budget. Just two days after Ron DeSantis was sworn in as governor, he signed his third executive order. It dealt with the environment, a key issue that helped get DeSantis elected last year. The order included the new governor's desire to spend $2.5 billion over four years on Everglades restoration and water quality. It also created a state task force to focus on addressing the blue-green algae that has choked waterways east and west of Lake Okeechobee in two of the past three summers. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers manages Lake Okeechobee. It expects to see the algae again this summer, but the Corps has lowered the lake level in hopes of not having to release massive amounts of polluted water, to protect the Hoover Dike holding back the lake along its southern rim. The governor's environmental effort is just one influence on the state budget this year. Another is an anticipated slowdown in the growth rate of state revenues and how the new governor will approach his ability to strike out specific spending plans. We spoke about all this with Florida's Chief Financial Officer, Jimmy Patronis.
4: With a, a brand new governor, um, with a, an initiative uh, that he has led with um, you know, ensuring that environmental spending is is one of uh, his big priorities. Um, I think we're all you know very sensitive, and we appreciate uh, how forward thinking he is being regarding uh, one of our most precious resources, and that is good clean drinking water. So, uh, but to to do some of this does take money, um, and ultimately, if we don't make some of those type of investments now, um, it is much more expensive down the road if we try to pivot to it. The state economist looks forward, of
0: course, several years and is seeing some areas of concern, not within the state necessarily, but just importing some of the general economic uh, sluggishness that's expected uh, in the United States. How, How worried are you about that in future
4: years of state budgets? I've been incredibly fortunate to serve in the legislature when the times were incredibly bad, and then uh, was able to see the prosperity that comes from good fiscal discipline. uh, As under the Governor Scott administration, uh, $10 billion in state debt was paid down, and that was the first time in 20 years that a dollar of state debt had been paid down uh, since since the administration of Governor Bob Martinez. Um, When we paid down our state debt, when we fully fund uh, the Florida Catastrophic Fund, uh, as we, you know, take and, and are sensitive to the exposure citizens' insurance has in the state of Florida, all of those factors ultimately uh, give Florida a better resilience to a downturn in the economy. Um, we're not borrowing money or bonding money uh, in order to shore up um, those those um, those particular Disaster zones. I think discipline uh, to to continue that path, and and again, don't uh, don't spend what we can't afford to spend. We we've got to be we've got to be frugal and uh, ensure that a future generation doesn't inherit bad debt decisions. From what you
0: are seeing out of the House budget proposal and the Senate approved budget proposal, uh, do you uh, characterize those as frugal as fiscally responsible?
4: Look, I, th- I think as as the legislature does, they are, are are embodying and representing the will of the citizens that they get to serve. I know the citizens of the state of Florida spend their money better than Tallahassee does. So, you know, I was always an advocate of, of empowering the consumer to have as many dollars in their pocket as possible. Um, and there, there becomes an environment up here in Tallahassee is, as long as you continue to to, to feed money into the Tallahassee process, you know, Tallahassee can ultimately do exactly that as spend it. So, um, you know, I think that that discipline is important. The uh,
0: budget proposals do represent uh, some of the slowest year-over-year growth in state spending that we've seen in a good number of years. Is, is that, do you think, reflective of some concern about future economic growth and future growth of state revenues in the years ahead, like the state economists are a bit concerned about?
4: It's easy to want to pay for everybody's wish list, okay? But ultimately, there's a day of reckoning because there's just not enough credit money or reserves in order to pay for it. So, you know, truly weighing out what is the mission of the state of Florida, what should the state of Florida actually be paying for, is is all part of the debate that we have every single um, legislative session. Um, look, as long as we are still continue focus on growing private sector jobs and uh, recruiting new industries to strengthen our our international trade relationships, all that is part of taking advantage of the logistical advantage we've got over the whole rest of the United States. Um, but it's uh, it, it it is what it is. Um, as times are good, uh, people you know. You know, they, they fly without a net a little bit more, and I think we always should fear that, uh, that the economy can turn down. In 2006, at the height of the real estate boom, the state of Florida issued over 22,000 building permits, okay? In 2009, we issued just over 2,000 building permits. So, I mean, in, in a short three-year period, the whole construction industry in the state of Florida totally collapsed. Uh, In 2006, the budget was at an all-time high with reserves at over $6 billion. In 2009, the budget was the same size. Reserves were down to $900 million. So, you know, this is why I think it's important to reflect on the history. And I was here during those times. I felt the pain of dealing with a budget in that type of environment. I don't want to experience it again. How
0: sensitive do you think these budget proposals are that the House and Senate and the governor are wrestling over in the weeks ahead? How sensitive do you think they are to a potential slowdown in the revenue growth that uh, the state economists are predicting in the years ahead?
4: I th- I think both chambers are sensitive to it. Um but but this is this is the beauty of a of a of a process here that the governor at the end of the day has the veto pen. And um you know there was You know, multiple legislative sessions where Governor Scott uh, and also um, Governor Bush did, um, you know, I think Governor Scott has a record right now vetoing $460 million worth of what he justified as, uh, you know, spending that is not in the best interest of the citizens of the state of Florida. So I think there are checks and balances to the budget process that the legislature uh, will, will push forward. Uh, the the only charge that the legislature has to do constitutionally is pass a budget. They'll pass it, and you know, and and then we'll we'll see the chips fall where they may as as a an unknown governor um, of how he handles his veto pen. Then you know really comes onto stage, and and um, I, I appreciate how fiscally conservative I've seen Governor DeSantis's performance so far, and uh, I feel that. Uh, um, we will see some legislative priorities probably not meet his uh, his litmus test, and we'll send those dollars right back into general revenue, where is probably a, a better place for them to be.
0: Both the House and Senate budgets are actually less than what the governor proposed. Have you and the governor talked about what some of the metrics are that he will look at some of these projects uh, that will wind up eventually in the budget that he will consider in the weeks ahead?
4: No, but look, the governor's team is right now as we speak, they are, they are combing through the legislative budget. And the governor will need to um, set some criteria in order to be consistent in his, in his discipline and his judgment of, of what are the right type of funded projects. In the best interests of the state of Florida,
0: what would your guidance be for that criteria? Given your experience in the legislature, the governor comes into the position he's in with no experience in state government. He's acknowledged that. So, as a former state legislator who's seen those bad times, what would you guide uh, Governor DeSantis in how he looks at some of these proposals that will wind up in the budget?
4: Well, I think it's I think it's critically important that you know we we look at. Who cannot service themselves? I think when you look at the healthcare priorities, the healthcare priorities have got to be the safety net that we operate in our state. When you come to the agency with persons with disability, our elderly, our children, um, you know that population that has nowhere else to turn, but they are citizens of the state of Florida. We need to ensure that there is a, a is a robust safety net to ensure that they uh, have somewhere to get the necessary services they need and the great thing about it is is when we do work cooperatively and and fund the type of systems in place we can help that individual be an active part of the Florida workforce uh, so you know there, there's there are every type of you know, when you dig down to the Florida budget there's every type of of argument that can be made for a a specific chamber of commerce or a particular special interest group of some sort that can build a narrative that justifies their existence in the state budget. But at the end of the day, is it truly the mission of the state of Florida to be funding every single special interest interest niche that could be part of a particular legislators district because they maybe serve a constituency of 100 or 200. You know, I I think uh, as we start truly focusing on what the role of our state budget is, um, you know, Governor Sanders will come up with his own calculus of of what he feels. Uh, But uh, look, I... Uh, there was a lot of things that I felt like didn't deserve to be in budgets that uh, that I've seen over the years and um, I was always amazed how thorough uh, the governor's office can be in reading the budget differently than a legislator can. So uh, you know I think the, the I don't want I don't want to bet on what the governor's going to veto or not going to veto but I assure you <laughs> I bet you it'll be in in, in excess of a uh, of hundred million dollars.
0: Florida's Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas. He spoke with us last week from his office in Tallahassee. Still to come, the Republican effort to find the funding for Governor Ron DeSantis' big priority, the environment.
2: Therein lies the big question. I would say the, the $100 million question.
0: This is the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting public radio. Holly Roshine is serving her fourth term in the Florida House. She's a Republican from Key Largo, representing parts of South Dade County and the Keys. This year, she is the point person in the House negotiating one of the highest profile spending packages for Governor Ron DeSantis, the Budget on the Environment. The governor made the environment a centerpiece of his successful campaign, and he has generally received high marks from environmental groups for his early actions, such as naming the state's first chief science officer. DeSantis asked lawmakers to spend $625 million on the environment next year, beginning in July. It's a down payment on the $2.5 billion he wants to spend over the course of his four-year term. Most of that would be channeled toward restoring the Everglades, including a delayed project increasing the water storage east of Lake Okeechobee and a reservoir south of the lake. It's all a big change and there are big differences in how the House and Senate want to spend money and where that money comes from on Florida's environment. We spoke with Republican Representative Holly Rauschein as she prepares to lead House negotiations over the environment budget.
2: My silo specifically is agriculture and natural resources. So I oversee the environmental budget, which is pretty cool.
0: How would you describe the appetite for environmental spending in this cycle? And has it solely been (laughs) driven by uh, by the governor?
2: Well, I'm so excited to hear about the governor's priority and making uh, Everglades and water quality and the environment one of his top priorities. Um, we all went through a summer of red tide outbreaks. We had harmful algal blooms all over the state. Um, folks are, are pretty upset and rightfully so. So this budget, at least on the House side, and I'm pretty sure the Senate equally so, focuses on water quality. It's, it's um, obviously a, an incredibly important issue right now. It will continue to be an important issue and I'm very proud. Um, We focus uh, about six hundred and sixty million dollars just specifically on Everglades restoration and protecting our water resources around the state. Also in that bucket of money is forty million dollars for DOTs, the Department of Transportation's work plan, to uh, finish the bridging of Tamiami Trail which will be a huge huge project to finish with regards to the flow of water in the Everglades. Yeah, that
0: raises up the roadway and allows that southern flow, that more historic flow of water to move down into Florida Bay, which has been a key issue, obviously, for, uh, for folks in your district in, uh, in the Keys
2: yes and and i would say that the the appetite is very uh very strong very hungry for for the environment right now and specifically in this in this area of everglades restoration and water quality
0: where did the money come from here representative if if uh, both the house and the senate are willing to spend and budget more than 600 million dollars in this cycle Driven, obviously, by the governor and making the environment a priority, in part because of the blue-green algae and the red tide and the problems that we've seen over the past few summers here in South Florida. Where did the dollars come from?
2: Sure. And obviously, our economy is tied to um, sales tax, um, things like property taxes, um document stamps on real estate transactions That's sure where but our, I guess the
0: question though is is the are these dollars being allocated from somewhere else or yes. is this taking advantage of the growth in state revenue that we've seen which has a- slowed down considerably?
2: Sure, Tom, and I think it's a, it's a combination. So what um, if you really look into the, the details of the budget, we've got general revenue that's uh, covering these projects. And then also a number of them are trust fund projects. And, um, you know, that's also a, a tool in our toolbox that we can use for um, for funding projects. For example, the Center for Red Tide Research that we're setting up, that's $4.2 million out of GR. Um, we've general got some revenue. uh General revenue, correct. And um, for example, there's $100 million in there for um, springs restoration that comes out of a trust fund. So we kind of, um, you know, we move dollars around. We've also got a, a $50 a $50 million um, pot of money for um, water quality improvements, specifically for wastewater and stormwater. We've got a number of folks that are still on septic tanks, um, you know, haven't been able to hook up to sewers or central sewers. Um, that's kind of a Um, an important issue that we're dealing with. So these funds will allow those communities to apply for grants to kind of help them out with those sort of projects.
0: If the spending is realized, that is imagined by the Senate and the House and the governor, $600 million plus on the environment, uh, water quality, Everglades restoration. What level of confidence do you have that that could either reduce the chances, if not eliminate, The odds, especially of the blue-green algae outbreaks that we've seen in two of the past three summers happen in the future.
2: Yes, so I think the odds will obviously be weakened and lessened of having these these harmful um, blooms and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, these problems are very advanced, and so it is going to take a little bit of time and it's going to take a lot of dollars, a lot of funding. We're going to continue to need to step up to the plate in terms of the amount of, of funding that we put towards these projects. But yes, I think it significantly moves the needle. Um, we've got a great plan in terms of Everglades restoration. But if we don't properly fund that plan, um, it can't move forward. There's also been um, sort of a, a feeling of really trying to move these projects forward quickly. We need to get on this. People are tired of waiting. Um, our economy is suffering because of our, our water quality. And we want to make sure that um, you know we get on this as soon as
0: possible. Floridians who were here a decade ago know how susceptible uh, environmental spending on the part of the state can be to an economic recession. We saw cuts to environmental spending on the part of the state in 2009 and 2010 as state revenues uh, retreated considerably because of the housing collapse. How Mm -hmm. vulnerable is this kind of spending in the years ahead, do you think?
2: Um, I don't, I, you know, I would, it would be my hope, and obviously I don't have a crystal ball, but it would be my hope that this wouldn't be a sort of um, area that we would want to touch or make deep cuts, let's say that. Um, it's, again, people come to Florida for our pristine environment, for our beautiful beaches, which we actually include uh, $50 million for beach restoration projects in our budget. I don't foresee the um, level of energy letting up around this, this world, um, you know, anytime soon.
0: How important has the uh, Amendment 4 that was passed a couple of election cycles ago that earmarked documentary stamp taxes specifically for the environment in this spending plan that you and your colleagues have put together?
2: Yes, and there's been some big debate about that. Um, What was the will of the voters? What was what was the exact um, interpretation of that language, that amendment language? Did it rely heavily on land acquisition? There's a number of people out there that would say absolutely yes. Um, But an important component of water quality is land acquisition, um, you know, Florida Forever, rural and family lands, those kind of programs. So I think um, it has a, a very, very big impact. Um, you know, the the vote the voters made it a priority, and um, that's something that we continue to work on up here. And to, um, you know, at the end of the day, we've we've got to fully fully implement
0: that will. That debate around uh, how much of the money raised through this amendment goes toward land acquisition has been active. And in the House budget, uh, which you approved, was just $20 million for a land-buying program in the next fiscal year. The Senate has approved $45 million for land-buying. This year, the state is spending $100 million out of these funds to buy and preserve land.
2: Yeah. So historically speaking, the last year, unfortunately, that we fully funded Florida Forever was the 2008-2009 the budget cycle. And uh, that was
0: $300 million, dollars, right? Yes,
2: $300 million. And as you mentioned, obviously, then we had the Great Recession. Um, so we slowly tried to you know, keep ticking that amount up here and there. One year, unfortunately, we zeroed it out. That was pretty terrible. Um, but this year, the budget focuses a lot on water quality. I am a huge fan of Florida Forever. Um, I represent in a district that takes advantage of this uh, program and is a huge benefactor of it um, and' being you know the keys are so environmentally sensitive um, it's my hope that we're going to come to the Senate position on that and hopefully even get higher um, the governor has recommended a hundred million um, it's my hope um, that we will get to to that um, number but you know again that's going to be part of these these bigger negotiations coming up
0: so you're not satisfied with the 20 million dollars in the house budget set aside for land buying.
2: Me personally, no. No. Um, Again, we've got to, you know, kind of keep moving forward, move money around. Um, Anytime you take money from one area, you know, put it somewhere else, you know, I, you know, certainly don't want to have any um, unintended consequences, but it is my hope um, that we see that number grow significantly.
0: Do you think that could grow at the cost of Water quality or Everglades restoration spending. Well,
2: and that's there. Therein lies the big question. The myth, I would say, the the hundred billion dollar question.
0: So, are you confident that the the 660000000 dollars total bucket of environmental spending is roughly set? Now, it's just a matter of allocating those dollars within that amount.
2: Yes, and there are some differences in in terms of, um, you know, money that the Senate has in for springs um, or money that we have in for state park improvements. Like all of those little areas, um, we need to kind of tighten up. Um, The governor has recently appointed a chief science officer. That's a new uh, position in the Department of Environmental Protection. So I think that uh, the tide has certainly turned on our environmental uh, needs in our state. Um, We're really going to get down to, uh, to business here in the coming weeks.
0: Mineral County Republican Rep. Holly Rauschein, she will lead the statehouse Republican talks over environment spending, one of Governor Ron DeSantis's priorities. Still to come, a top Democrat budget negotiator on tackling the biggest slice of state spending, health care.
1: I think if we don't take a good, hard look at our health care spending, and if we don't start to think about truly pulling down money from the federal government and not leaving money there, no, it's not sustainable.
0: We're back on the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Don't forget, you can follow along on social media. Each program at WLRN is our handle on Twitter. I'm Tom Hudson. Oscar Branan will be one of those in the room negotiating over spending differences in the Florida budget. He's a Democrat whose district stretches from Opelaka in Dade County and from I-95 to the Everglades in southern Broward County. Braynon sits on the Senate Appropriations Committee, giving him a seat bargaining with Republicans and the Florida House over how to spend billions in state tax money and billions in federal money coming through the state government. Both the Florida House and Senate have okayed their preliminary budgets. Now the talks begin about bringing the two together to have the chamber's vote on it within the next three weeks. It's not uncommon for the spending plans to differ. This year, they are $400 million apart, but the gulfs are wider for specific spending areas. There's a half-billion-dollar difference on what the House and Senate want to spend on the biggest portion of the budget, health care. It consumes about 40 cents of every dollar the state spends, and health care spending has hung up past legislative sessions. Braynon will be bargaining over those differences with an eye toward how the new governor, Ron DeSantis, will receive what is the result of the negotiations. I
1: think we're waiting to see what type of budget pin uh, Governor DeSantis has. No one can predict or can tell you exactly what whether he has a uh, uh, Rick Scott uh, first year type budget pin or a Rick Scott election year type veto pin.
0: You're talking about the line item veto that uh, yes. the Florida governor uh, has, the ability to yeah. uh, literally cross out something on the spreadsheet of spending that comes out of the state coffers.
1: Yes, that that's correct, and uh, and 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 with uh, someone like Rick Scott, it uh, always fluctuated between uh, whether or not he was on the ballot or not on the ballot.
0: During those election years, Governor Scott tended not to use the uh, line item correct. veto as much as when it was a non-election year. This being a non-election year, what kind of hand have you been led to believe from the governor's office?
1: Well, this is an this has been an interesting governor. What he has said is. I believe that the legislative process is just that, is the legislature's, legislature's process. And I, as the executive, will not weigh in until it's time for me to weigh in. So he has not really tipped his, uh, tipped his hand to show us what type of veto pen he'll have. He submitted a budget, which was his, uh, which was a suggestion budget. His budget was a little larger than all of our budgets. It means there's a lot of things that he wants in his budget. Uh, He did not sweep the Sadowski Fund, which is the housing trust fund. We in the Senate uh, followed suit and did not sweep it, but the House did. So it'll be interesting to see how he deals with that.
0: This is a key piece here where we've seen practices since the Great Recession and by Florida legislatures that they have taken what was supposed to be money earmarked for specific projects, in the case of the Sadowski Fund for Affordable Housing, and swept it into the general fund to be able to spend it on everything from education to roads to uh, community swimming pools. Uh, that practice has come under great scrutiny, certainly, as the price of property and homes has increased uh, here in Florida and the Senate wants to spend all three hundred thirty million dollars in the Sadowski fund on affordable housing. The governor has talked about that, but the House only wants to spend about thirty cents on the dollar on housing.
1: Yes. Yes. And you know and some of the money the, the 30 cents that they're you that they're looking to spend, they're sending to the panhandle for hurricane recovery. Now of our money in the Senate, we're sending thirty cents to the panhandle as well. The difference is they're sweeping the rest of the money while we're using the rest of that money for uh, for affordable housing across the state.
0: Where is their middle ground? Is there a middle ground, do you think, between those two strategies?
1: You know, there's middle ground, of course, everywhere when you're talking budget numbers, because the middle is always the median, right? But uh, for this, I think you either are committed to it and you don't sweep it, or you're not. I, I don't know. I think I don't know that you should really that you should just say we're going to spend half. of it. we have such a crisis going on here. I think we should just commit almost policy wise to not sweeping that um, that
0: fund. Senator Brayden, let me ask you about one of the biggest slices of state spending and perhaps one of the most controversial, and that is around health care. Uh, yes. There is a significant difference between the spending in the House and the spending in the Senate on healthcare yes. in the state of florida about a half billion dollar difference uh, the yes. senate wants to restructure how medicaid reimbursements are distributed to hospitals to be able to share those payments which is a mix of federal and state dollars more yeah. equally with hospitals across the state so the so-called safety net hospitals which include jackson memorial and some hospitals in broward may not get a lion's share of those funds you yes. voted for the Senate proposal to come out of the Senate, and now the negotiations are underway. Do you stand behind that effort to have more equal Medicaid payments to hospitals in Florida?
1: I actually think that there is a that there is a middle ground there. Um, now, we, when we voted for the budget to come out of here, we really vote to get it into conference and to start the negotiation more than voting for the in particular policy that goes along with that budget. But I will say that as someone that uh, has an area – that is served by primarily safety net hospitals, I think that it's 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 way too deep of a cut to the current funding of uh Memorial Hospital, which is in South Broward or Jackson Hospital, which is like dade county. I think in South Florida overall it's something to the tune of an eighty five million dollar uh hit total when we talk about Medicaid dollars, we normally think of money going towards uh the what we would call the least of those, the most needy, right? And these are the hospitals that serve the most needy. So that's why we think that there is a a formula that and and, and when I say we, us from that from areas that are primarily serviced by safety net hospitals that are in the Senate, uh, we believe that there is a middle ground that can be reached. Um, we know that there are some areas, um, that even some in West Palm Beach, some areas in West Palm Beach that are only served by non-safety net hospitals, and they've been saying that they feel they're getting shafted because they put money into the pool, but don't get enough back. And we in South Florida can relate to that when it comes to state government on all fronts.
0: So do you support the idea of going back to the strategy where the Medicaid dollars follows the patient? I believe that that is the case. The version that came out of the Senate in the Senate budget to more equally distribute the Medicaid payments. Yeah, that
1: goes across the board. There is no no difference. That's going to every every hospital equally.
0: And you don't support that, though?
1: No, no, no. I don't think that's the way we need to do it.
0: But you do think there is a change from, from where that payment system is now uh, where it does more significantly favor the safety net hospitals? Yes, yes. And could that come at a cost to those safety net hospitals in Dade and Broward counties?
1: It could, but I think that there is in this proposal they're talking about putting a um, putting an amount of just straight up from the general revenue uh, to uh, balance, offset that the cut that would come from that formula straight to the safety net hospitals.
0: The House and the Senate uh, budgets both talk about making permanent the changes to the retroactive eligibility of Medicaid. Uh, Medicaid patients uh, just a couple of months ago uh, had to shift the eligibility, where instead of three months uh, after a procedure or a visit that they could still get the Medicaid uh, uh, payment, it's now been cut to one month with the okay of the federal government. Both the House and Senate have liked that one month uh, eligibility window. Is that something that you support?
1: No. Actually, any legislation, any policy that's put in a budget is only for that year. You have to pass an actual bill to get it to go beyond that year of that budget. I do not support that, that policy at all. Didn't support it last year, and we've been trying to fight to get that out of the budget, and we hope to try to get that out of the bu- budget in conference.
0: Is the health care spending that you're seeing in this budget uh, sustainable? for the state of Florida, given some of the economic forecasts when it comes to revenues in future fiscal years?
1: You know, I think if we don't take a good hard look at, um, at, at our health care spending, and if we don't start to think about truly pulling down Money from the federal government and not leaving money there. No, it's not sustainable.
0: Is that another way I of hear, saying Medicaid expansion, Senator? That
1: is another way of saying Medicaid expansion. I think we we hear uh, the people, the the House Republicans talk a lot about us this not being sustainable and healthcare is not sustainable. But to say that and then to leave so much money on the table at the federal government is it, it's it's just it's talking out of both sides of your mouth. So if we're not If we're serious about this and we really believe that we can't sustain it, there is a huge pot right there for us to go after.
0: The Speaker of the Florida House, Jose Oliva, representative from Dade County, has uh, not endorsed uh, Medicaid expansion, has taken that off the table even before the legislative session began. He wants to focus on uh, essentially the supply side of Mm -hmm. hospitals as well as uh, uh, medical services and increase or try to increase, try to encourage increasing the supply in, in an effort to uh, bring prices down.
1: We will see if that actually works. The amount that you would have to increase the supply to make an actual dent, I think, is uh, is not a realistic amount. Just in my opinion, some of the things that he's doing, the transparency, and some of those things, I agree with. But I think you know when you start saying that healthcare is a commodity that you can pick up on the side of the street because we're making it a, a supply and demand free market type of thing, I think you run the risk of possibly having substandard health care. And that's my worry.
0: South Florida Democrat State Senator Oscar Branan, one of those negotiating the state budget, as lawmakers have three weeks until the scheduled end of the regular session. Still to come, how to pay more to public school teachers. A bonus? or a pay raise. Not only
3: do teachers need
0: uh, a pay raise, uh, not just a bonus, teachers need, we
3: need a salary increase. The state of Florida, uh, we rank um, one of the lowest when it comes to how we pay our teachers and it's just not okay.
0: We're back on the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening and supporting WLRN. In the past year, voters in Palm Beach, Broward, and Miami-Dade counties have okayed higher property taxes to help pay for teacher raises. The support came after the state legislature okayed a very small increase in discretionary per-student spending for this year, just $0.47. Cents. Much of the other increase in state education spending was aimed at security and safety measures after the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas school shooting. The budget okayed by the Florida House for next year raises the base student allocation by $38 per student. The Senate wants almost four times that increase. Both would spend more than $200 million on teacher bonuses through the Best and Brightest program. That program has been controversial, though, in part because it factors in college entrance exam scores received by the teachers, in some cases decades ago. Teachers have been pushing lawmakers to more directly tackle salaries, not just bonuses. It is one of the spending issues Chevron Jones is focused on. Jones is a Democratic member of the Florida House from Broward County.
3: I think it's wrong for us to view um, the funding for public education and affordable health care as a drain on the state on the state's budget. Um, I'm just looking at what's happening now uh, in Tallahassee and the negotiations that's taking place through the House and the, the Senate. Uh, it's important that, you know, as we're looking at negotiation, that uh, that we talk about how to have a strong economy because we can't talk about a strong economy without talking about the two biggest things that I just spoke about. And that was our public education system and our health care.
0: On the education side, uh, there is quite a gulf between the House and proposed budget and the Senate-approved budget. Uh, I believe you voted for the House-approved budget. How do you see bridging this gulf? It's about a half-billion-dollar difference between what the House wants to spend and what the Senate would like to spend. Uh, And the Senate would like to spend more per student for K-12 education than compared to the House budget.
3: When I voted for uh, the budget, it, my vote for the budget was to move the budget into negotiation, knowing that there we have to there will have to be a negotiation when it comes to our education and our healthcare budget. I would like to say this: that it's very clear that the House um, is taking uh, is is taking the low road with ensuring that we incentivize our 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 teachers, or ensuring that we incentivize our our students with resources inside the classroom. Uh, I make it very clear in debate uh, on the budget to these uh, the sponsor for the education approach, that we have to be extremely careful to not paint the picture as if we are spending more money per, per students, because truth be told, we're not. What they have done, what, what my Republican colleagues have done, they have taken the best and brightest dollars, they have removed it out of the general revenue fund and they moved it into the FEFP. That has never happened before. This and is consider- the
0: uh, bonus program that is that's designed correct. to give Florida public school teachers a financial bonus if, right. they, uh, if they perform at a certain level.
3: That's right. right. And they took, they've taken that bonus and they moved it into the FEFP to make it seem as if they're given, we're giving students more money, but that's not the case. The FEFP
0: uh, is the main revenue uh, account that pays for public education in That's Florida.
3: Correct. That's correct. Uh, and so, and my so my colleagues, they and I, I, I hope they understand that, and that that not only do teachers need uh, a pay raise, uh, not just a bonus. Teachers need a, a, We need a salary increase. Our, the state of Florida, uh, we rank um, one of the lowest when it comes to how we pay our teachers, and it's just not okay.
0: When you see the bonus money for teachers move into the general education fund. You're essentially calling that kind of an accounting issue when it looks as if there would be a more significant increase on the spending per student, but a portion of that is bonus money that may or may not get paid out to teachers?
3: What we're saying is that we move this, move these dollars into the, move the dollars into the FEAP to make it seem as if we're putting more resources in the school for the teachers when all, uh, I mean, for our students, when all in all, we're not doing that. The number that we are, the true number of what per student is getting is what we need to get at. How much are we really giving? Per student, And not trying to convolute this and say that we're giving more money for, uh, for the student. When well, in actuality, we are just moving dollars as far as bonus dollars um, from from one pot to the next and calling it uh, a teacher, uh, a teacher pay raise or a teacher bonus. That's not OK.
0: But and you don't consider that uh, spending in the classroom as a per pupil increase in spending if that bonus money still goes to the teachers? No. Uh, the House budget calls for a $38 per student increase, and in your estimation, your accounting, that includes this potential for teacher bonus money, which you think should be should be uh, taken out. Is that right? It should
3: be, right. It should be taken out, and those, and those dollars should be um, accounted Have they have been accounted for in the past, and that dollar is within the, the general revenue fund.
0: So in your estimation, spending on teachers shouldn't be considered as part of a per-pupil budget item?
3: No, I, I don't I don't believe that we should we should tie the dollars as far as bonuses for for our teachers to the dollars that goes to ensuring that our students have the resources inside the classroom. If the teacher a resource, yes, he or she is. They are a resource in the classroom. But let's take Pico dollars for uh, for 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 instance. Pico, Pico dollars, dollars are the uh,
0: to, money for to. capital improvements and building capital and those kinds of things, air That's conditioning, uh, windows, doors, uh, that kind of stuff.
3: Right. We found one hundred and fifty eight million dollars to give the charter schools, one hundred and fifty eight million dollars to give the charter school for PICO. Why couldn't we why could we not give those dollars and ensure We put include those dollars into the general revenue fund to ensure that teachers pay raises come after that. I mean, let's let's look at the amount of money that we're about to 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 cut for state universities. You're about to cut one hundred thirty eight million dollars. Why not take? Why? Why are you cutting those dollars? I mean, there are a series of various things that my Republican colleagues are doing that is going to run teachers out of this out of the state because of the fact that we're, we don't value them. We're not valuing them, and it's been that way for almost twenty years.
0: When talking about uh, higher education, the House approved budget calls for a two and a half percent cut to the base budget. For universities, that would be a $20 million drop in spending for FSU, UF, USF, those preeminent universities.
3: Or FAMU, like I went to. Florida right. AM, yes. Florida AM have not been able to get the dollars like a UF or a FSU, but we've been able to survive. Uh, but when you start saying that you're going to cut, uh, 30, $38 million from our state universities. I think we set a dangerous, dangerous precedence. I mean, think, think about it from this standpoint, that companies flock to Florida, um, not only for our great rather, not only for our low tax rate, but they flock to Florida for an educated, skilled workforce. And we have to ensure that we are pumping dollars into the place that brings that that produces those skilled workers.
0: If the education spending that's included in the House budget currently that you did vote for, as you said, to kind of move the process forward, if that remains uh, as uh, House and Senate negotiators uh, go through and look for a comprehensive budget, uh, would you vote against it? I will see. That's Broward County, Florida House Democratic Representative Chevron Jones. You can catch up on any of this program that you may have missed or all of our podcasts by searching Sunshine Economy on iTunes. Pilar Ibe as our technical director. Katie Lepre, our engagement producer. Polly Landis, our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening.